Ever thought about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Maverick Mondays. I'm your host, Maverick Peters. It is my intention to change your Mondays, to change your week, and to change your life. One episode, one Monday at a time, here on the Maverick Mondays podcast. I've had the incredible opportunity to sit down with some pretty fantastic people. The individuals who are successful at what they do or are extremely positive-minded in the way they live their daily lives Those are the people we will be hearing from on this show. Stay tuned for today's guest. I want to tell you guys about my friends at Rube Adler Sports in Solon, Ohio. The guys at Rube Adler's bring passion and efficiency to the world that is custom sporting goods. They specialize in custom jerseys, team orders, online web stores, and now face masks. With the ever-growing advancements in technology, it's about time the sporting goods industry does so as well, making it as seamless as possible. They work to create a highly efficient way of connecting athletes, coaches, and all you soccer moms out there with top-notch spirit wear. Let their team help your team take the stress out of the clothing part so you can focus more on performing your best. Call them today at 440-248-4668. Mention my name, Maverick, and see how you can save on your very first order. We have with us here today Joshua Shea. Joshua, all the way out from Maine, is with us uh, via phone. Josh, welcome to the show. Tell us what you're all about. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Maverick. Um, you know, my life is uh, really three things. First and foremost, I'm a father of two kids, a 17-year-old son who's a junior in high school and a 20-year-old daughter who's in her sophomore year at college. Um, I've got a beautiful wife I've been married to for about 19 years now. Um you know, they are the loves of my life. Um, and then with my professional life, about half of it is spent as a ghostwriter. I write blogs and books for corporate clients who are trying to increase their business. But my real passion is in being an author and educator on the topic of pornography addiction. I was an addict for about 20, 25 years. It came crashing down in a horrible way. And uh when it did back in 2013, 2014, there just weren't many resources out there for people like me. So I decided being a writer by trade, I would try to uh, do something. And once I started researching it and seeing the statistics, I learned that this is a huge problem that uh, people just won't talk about. People really don't like to talk about it. So let's let's try and spread a little awareness here with this episode. Tell us the numbers. What are some of the numbers that have been since you started out helping people now, what's going on in that realm? Well, I mean, the the idea of pornography addiction or pornography has been around forever. I try to tell people I'm not 
anti-pornography or trying to fight pornography, uh, both just because of my freedom of choice political views, but also the fact that trying to fight pornography is pointless. We tried to do that in this country with alcohol 100 years ago. It didn't work out. So what my feeling is with the advent of the Internet bringing pornography to every 12-year-old kid on their telephone what we need to do is start educating because what we see right now is this first generation that grew up on the internet, the 18 to 30 year olds, right now 32% of that age group of males say that they believe that they either are addicted to pornography or have a problem with it. So that's one out of three men under 30 years old who believes they have a problem with pornography. I think that's because nobody knew what the internet was going to do to this generation. And in just giving them unfettered access to pornography, we've got a lot of guys with a lot of issues and we've got to start dealing with, you know, our children and it's 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 horrible that in 2020 we have to tell our children about pornography at a young age, but we teach them about smoking. We teach them about drinking. We teach them how to cross the street the right way. And if you make it an age-appropriate discussion, uh, you know, it's just another one of those things. Kids want direction. Kids want to know right from wrong. Um, and they'll find it and try it in their own time, like kids experiment with everything else. But if they know the potential harm, I think that we'll do a lot to take care of some of those scary numbers. What is the potential harm? For, for people who are hearing this for the first time going, wait, what? There's something wrong with viewing pornography? So tell us, what's the damage? Where Where's the danger? Well, pornography is like any other substance that you can become addicted to, whether it's drinking or food or gambling or video games or drugs. Uh, the same... Uh, mechanism in the brain in the pleasure centers which create chemicals like oxytocin like dopamine like serotonin when you look at pornography you get a little hit of that and with people who are susceptible to pornography addiction it's much like needing that next drink or needing to play 12 hours of video games in a row. You continue to use, you continue to use, and what you end up doing is really frying your dopamine receptors, so you need to spend more time looking at pornography to get the same high that you did before. You need to increase the uh, extremeness of the content of the pornography. You know, simple naked people won't do it for you uh, the way that it once did. It's a lot like being an alcoholic where you build a tolerance to alcohol. You know, two beers won't get you drunk anymore. You need four or six or you need to move on to hard liquor. Uh, alcohol is really the same thing, and that's what, or I'm sorry, but pornography is really the same thing, and that's what we need to have people recognize, is that addiction is addiction is addiction. The exact same thing is happening in the brain and is literally changing the brain chemistry to the point that once you become an addict, you know, that's when you start seeing the problems in your life. That's when you start replacing healthy behaviors, hanging out with friends, watching TV, you know, doing sports, going to the gym. You start replacing that with the negative behavior and you start to seek other consequences such as the falling apart of social or romantic relationships. You know, you start, you know, if you're up all night looking at pornography, you're not going to be your best at school or at work the next day. There are uh, effects to any addiction, and pornography addiction is one of them, and we really need people to recognize that. 
What what would you say is the most common breaking point for most people when it comes to this this addiction in particular? What is do you find that most people reach out for help or that seek to break this habit at a at an earlier stage? Is it once it's too late? Once it's already messed with their lives uh, socially and personally? What what in your experience is the most common breaking point or turning point? Well, there were there were really two. One among younger guys is that they start to recognize that they're not having normal relationships. And I, you know, I say guys, they're also female addicts. I don't want to pretend that there's not. Uh, females are actually one of the fastest growing segments of the addict population. But among young men, uh, what's happening is this uh, medical uh, effect called PIED, or porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And you're seeing... Uh, teenage guys and guys in their early 20s with more erectile dysfunction than has ever happened before. But it's got this weird little twist where it doesn't happen when they're viewing pornography. So a lot of these guys recognize when they're with a girl, they can't perform. They could have the most beautiful girlfriend on earth, but unless pornography is playing in the room, they can't you know, uh, perform with their girlfriend. So that's a breaking point for a lot of guys or learning about that is a breaking point. A lot of guys who can't get into normal relationships because they're spending all their time with porn. A lot of younger guys recognize it at that point. With uh, older men, it usually tends to be something that their girlfriend or wife will discover and demand that they, they make changes. Um, that's the that's probably the most uh, common way that you find it with a lot with a lot of guys when they're confronted by it they're actually relieved uh, that was kind of my story um, you know complete complete relief that I was finally outed after nearly twenty years uh, and I was ready to go seek help of course there's also the flip side of the coin where there were a lot of guys who when confronted with plenty of proof that they clearly have a problem you know, will deny and deny because they don't want to face the fact that they have an addiction. And when it comes to porn addiction, much like every other addiction, it's not really about the addiction. The addiction is a symptom of a deeper problem. And when it comes to pornography addiction, uh, that, that problem is almost always some kind of unresolved trauma from earlier in life. Uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who's kind of one of the gurus in this industry, has said that uh, roughly 80% of pornography addicts have been uh, sexually abused, and about 95% have been emotionally abused. Uh, so you're talking almost everybody who gets hooked on pornography has some kind of trauma, and that's why they run to the pornography. Uh, they don't use pornography like normal people do. Uh, right now, 80% of men under 30 use pornography. 65% uh, of men under 40, or excuse me, under 50 use it. So it's being used quite a bit out there. Not all of these men end up as addicts, but for the addict, they're not looking just to see a pretty girl or just to see, you know, people get it on and then, you know, have that kind of action. They're actually using this the same way that a drug addict uses their drug or that a gambling addict needs to place that next bet. It's a way of escapism. It's, it's just something that consumes you and you think makes yourself feel better. Um, you know, as, as hard as that is for a lot of people to understand, um, it really isn't about sex. It's about escapism. Um, and it's about trying to control your stress, your anxiety, and deal with this trauma that you may not even recognize is there, 
but that's the way that you deal with it. Putting religion and putting politics aside, again, for the person who's hearing this for the first time, who's going, I had no idea this was such an issue. I had no idea to begin with that, that there was an issue. How would you define addiction? How would you define a problem? Understandable, and, that, and that's an important thing is for people to realize is that addiction is a physical disorder and a mental disorder. Um, it's not a disorder of morality. Um, it, it, it actually is a disease, um, and that's been you know largely proven by scientists and pretty much accepted across the board that uh, this is just not bad decision making. It is a full on disease. As far as you know, addiction, it's one of those things that varies from person to person, but the overall definition is generally accepted that uh, it's a repeated obsessive behavior that, despite the fact of negative consequences, cannot be stopped. And that's true right across the board with, with all addiction. In, in your personal experience, what, what were the, like, the most extreme scenario that you've dealt with where it's, it's actually ruined someone's life? Uh, oh, I've, I've met so many people whose lives it's completely ruined. Um, you know, and, and my story uh, is is one of those. I was a uh, local politician here in Maine. I owned a magazine. I was the founder of a film festival. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the term, but I was one of those local celebrity pillar of the community types. And um, I hit a, and, and much like other porn addicts, um, I hit it very well for 20 years. Uh, even from my wife and, and uh, everybody close to me in my life, uh, I hit a very bad skid uh, in my life in 2013 with one of my businesses. I ended up pulling myself off of my bipolar medication that I'd been on since I was about 20 years old, and uh, that exacerbated uh, my addictions. And I was also uh, an alcoholic as, as well. Um, and after the medication got out of my system, my addictions went out of control. And like I mentioned earlier, you really do need to escalate them. So I always only drink beer, you know, usually late at night. I was now drinking beer three times a day, even before I went to work. And I was, I had moved to tequila late at night. And instead of just looking at pornography late at night, I actually made the transition over to chat rooms. And in chat rooms, uh, this is back in mid-2013, I would encourage uh, women to do pornographic things to themselves. And, I, you know, it was really about control for me because I felt like control was disappearing in my life as my as one of my companies started to fail and as my relationship with my family seemed to be splintering. Um, and as I started to get these flashes of something that happened to me as a kid, um, I started having these memories pop up. Um, so it was a really rough time in my life. Um, I made the stupid decision to go to these chat rooms. And um, what I would do is, like I said, I would convince these, these women to do these certain things. And then at the very end, I would take a screen capture as a trophy. And uh, I've never used these trophies for uh, sexual gratification. I used them to prove to myself that I was capable of achieving something. If you would have come into my office at where I ran my magazine, you'd have seen plaques and trophies all over the walls. And that wasn't for me to prove to you that I was awesome. It was to prove to myself I was awesome because I always felt less than and I always felt I was playing this part out there and I could never be myself. And that's one of the reasons that I, I used was because 
when I was just by myself, I really couldn't handle it. So I would drink or I would look at porn to escape who I was. As it escalated, I started talking to these women. I would take a screen capture at the end so I could say, look what I did. I, I'm awesome. And on the morning of March 2014, the Maine State Police showed up at my door and said one of those women was a teenage girl. And in that moment, my life completely changed. Um, and I can say now, with all of this behind me, um, being a healthier, happier person than I have ever been, uh, those police officers were like angels. But at the time, you know, I didn't see that. Um, they came into my house and pretty much proved to me right away that uh, I made the mistake of talking to a teenage girl. Uh, I didn't realize she was at the time, but that's no excuse. The fact is, and you know this, everybody knows this, there are 15 and 16-year-old girls who look 25 and 26 and vice versa. I, and I also you know, really want to stress the fact that I don't blame the addiction for this. I blame myself. I was the one who pulled myself off of my mental health medication, I knew that I needed it, but I thought that if I, if I stopped using it, that might help be creative or stay up more hours to save my magazine, uh, which didn't work. So, you know, I, I, I recognize that I did a horrible, reprehensible thing. I try not to minimize it or justify it. Uh, alcoholism, the porn addiction, it did skew my mind when it came to uh, consequences, and that's how I ended up where I did. But people really can't use their addictions as excuses. And that's one of the things that bothers me a little bit in today's society is that people do use addiction as an excuse for certain behaviors. Um, I ended up uh, being arrested. I uh, was bailed out pretty fast. Uh, within an hour, my wife came and got me. But when we came home, there were already TV cameras in front of my house uh, because I was that well-known in Maine at the time. It was the top story in the news for the next week, both newspapers and TV. Every time I ever made a court appearance, TV cameras were there. Uh, I ended up going to rehab for alcoholism, and I thought I'd be there for about four weeks like you see in the movies. I ended up there for 10 weeks. Um, and then after that, I went to rehab specifically for sex and porn addiction. I was there for seven weeks. Uh, they were both the most fantastic, transformative experiences of my life. I started to learn how to stay away from those two substances, but I also started to learn um, about myself, why I became this way. I started to look at the abuse that happened to me as a kid that I never wanted to address um, and that I was really running from. That was the trauma part for me, like so many. Um, and being a journalist by trade, I did a ton of research and tried to find resources. And like I mentioned earlier on, there wasn't a lot out there. So I made the decision that I was going to start writing books. I also launched a website for people to teach them about pornography addiction because I think when the average person thinks about a pornography addict, they picture like this 18, 19 year old guy in his mom's basement who's never kissed a girl in real life and you know is socially inept and that's not who an average porn addict is. There is no average porn addict. I through rehab and through different support groups have met doctors and lawyers, mothers, daughters, you know, every uh, 
demographic when you're talking about rich or poor, smart, stupid. There is no stereotypical porn addict. And I wanted to get this story out there and let people know that, you know, if you are a porn addict, you need to get some help so you don't end up where I did. Because even for 99% of my addiction, I wouldn't have ended up doing what I did. But I got there. And if I can get there, anybody can get there. What exactly is the law? Obviously, underage is completely off limits, but but why? where does the law play its part in all this? Well, it, it is illegal, um, and it's illegal to different levels depending on where you are. Uh, the, the big part of what I did that was illegal was that I took those screen captures at the end. By taking a screen capture of somebody who was under 18 without their permission, I was... Uh, charged with exploitation um had i only had i only uh enticed her to do things online i probably would not have got any jail time but because i took her picture without her her knowing that was considered exploitation um i and in a lot of states what you have is different degrees a lot of states will have uh, you know, possession of sexual material under six years old, under 12 years old, under 14 or under 18, um, saying different severities of it. Uh, there are things like, you know, if, you're, if your family happens to be nudists and you go to a nudist resort and you take pictures and there happens to be children in them, you know, is that considered uh, child pornography? Well, some states consider it that, some states don't. It's really a state-to-state thing, um, and that's that's part of what uh, is a little bit confusing for some people. Uh, but almost every state uh, has a, a standard that uh, photographic material, that the, the printed material is of a sexual nature. And I couldn't deny that you know, what, what this girl was doing on screen was of a sexual nature because she was masturbating. You know, it wasn't like she was just at a beach. Um, you know, that's where it gets a lot more gray. Um, and it also, you know, depends on what the content is. The, the, the younger, the nastier, the, the worse it's going to be for you. Um, if you create the stuff, the far worse it's going to be for you. If you distribute the stuff, it's going to be far worse for you. So there are uh, many levels, and I've, you know, there are people who have had simple possession of a couple photos who get no jail time and a little bit of probation and some rehabilitation, and then there are people who have, you know, brutally abused, you know, children they knew and took photos and distributed them on the internet, and those people get 30 years. So it, it's it's like almost any other crime. It depends on the severity. Let's talk about recovery. What are the steps that you have to take? The biggest thing is, number one, that you admit you have a problem. Uh, and number two, that you decide you want to do something about it. It's a lot like going on a diet. You can say you're too fat, but unless you go on a diet, you're just talking. Uh, if you decide that it's time to get help, yeah, you know what? It's going to be a bit embarrassing. There are times I had to share certain stories, whether it be rehab or with the, I have had the same therapist now for about six years, you know, sharing one-on-one stories that are absolutely embarrassing. Um, but that's part of getting through it. Uh, there is a lot of shame when it comes to addiction. You know, I, I make a joke to people that when I told them that I was going to rehab for alcoholism, you know, they pat you on the back and they call you a hero and say, oh, great, you're going to go fight this demon. 
Then you tell them that you're going to go to rehab for porn addiction, and they go running for the hand sanitizer. You know, there's still stigmas around porn addiction and sex addiction because it involves sexuality, because it involves naked people, because it involves pornography. And even though the statistics say the vast majority of men are using it, everybody pretends that they don't. And if we can't talk about the substance itself being pornography, how can we talk about the problem around it? Um, and this is, you know, we're in the early days of this. Um, I think that pornography addiction come 10, 20 years from now, everybody's going to know about it. Everybody's going to be talking about it because those men who were 30 who were addicted are going to be 40 and 50. And I'm trying to, you know, scream from every mountaintop, unless we take care of this, there's going to reach a point where porn addicts I know, far outnumber drug addicts, far outnumber alcoholics. You know, what is this country going to look like when one out of three or even worse men are porn addicts? What's it going to look like when one out of every five women are porn addicts? And that's the direction things are going if we don't take care of this. So if anybody thinks that they have a problem, you know, visit my site, recoveringpornaddict.com, learn a little bit more about it, but you are going to need professional help. Um, I've talked with almost nobody who has ever got through this on their own. This is one of those things that if you generally have addiction, you have a disease and you need help with that disease from professionals. What are well, obviously the content itself, but what are some things to stay away from? What are some triggers? What are some places to completely avoid if possible? And if there's a relapse, what happens? Uh, well, um, there is a belief that relapse is part of uh, recovery. Um, I personally don't subscribe to that. And that bothers a lot of people. But I see relapse as a failure. I think you can learn from it but I don't think it's part of the recovery process. But if you have a relapse, you get right back on that horse. As far as triggers, it's one of those things that kind of is an individual thing. You know, what is it for you that did it for you? Some people it's, you know, uh, looking at pornography on the internet. Some people it's watching movies on, you know, pay-per-view pornography. Some people it's going to the beach. You know, triggers will also be everywhere. You could be driving down the street and see a pretty girl and that makes you think of sex, and then you want to go home and start looking at pornography on the internet. Uh, what you need to do is develop uh, tools to not do that. The best tool that I have ever had was uh, the advice of one of my early counselors at the alcohol rehab, where he said, just get up and go sit over there. And that means, basically, if you think that you're going to succumb to an addiction, you just get up out of your seat and you go take a different seat. And if you're sitting in that seat and you think that you're going to succumb to addiction, you stand up and you go take another seat. And I've only had to actually do this once in my life. It was for alcohol, and it was in an airport. Uh, I was in an airport a couple of years ago and didn't realize that I had never been sober in an airport in about two decades. And trying to not drink at an airport was next to impossible. And I had no idea that this was going to trigger me because I never put two and two together. However, what I had to do was basically move three gates down from where my flight was because there was a brew pub right across. I just got up and I moved my seat and I had to move my seat a couple times until it was out of eye shot. Um, there are a million and one different things people will tell you to do. Go for a walk, go for a run, read, write down your thoughts. Um, it really depends on an individual person and that's why I stress um, 
going to a, a therapist, even, even if you don't, um, believe that you have a giant problem, it's good to get some kind of strategy together to figure out how to deal with it before it becomes a big problem. Um, the things I do on my website, I have an advising list. I tell people it's not counseling. Basically what I do is I'll just talk to you about your problem because most people have never talked to another porn addict. And what I try to do, whether it be through email or through video conference, is talk to them and get them comfortable talking about it. And once they're comfortable talking about it, help them find a legit therapist. Because that's what's often hardest, as you mentioned, is just getting out there and just saying it for the first time and recognizing that there are people that won't judge you. There are people that won't shame you. There are people who understand what you're going through. And when you realize you're not alone, that makes tackling addiction a lot easier. Josh, what's the biggest thing that motivates you personally? Uh, my family. I lost so many years being a workaholic. I lost so many years running from who I was. I lost so many years not being emotionally intimate with them uh, that, that it kills me. I mean, I, I missed a lot of my kids' childhood because of so many of my own personal demons that I wouldn't address. So these days, staying healthy, uh, staying in recovery, staying on point, uh, it's really it's really the kids. It's really my wife. They deserved so much better, yet they stuck with me through it. Now I'm trying to be that better person. Um, at the beginning of this episode, we, we mentioned about it's really important to educate and keep it age-appropriate for children so that even at a young age, unfortunately, today we have to uh, educate them and inform them that it's a problem while they're still young. So how, how do we do that? How, wh what is the, the best way to educate a child um, and how do you make it age appropriate? Obviously this podcast is, you know, family friendly, but how, and, you know, and together we've done a great job keeping it as clean as possible, but how do, how do we do this in the public setting? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's first the public needs to recognize that kids these days, the average boy sees pornography between the ages of eight and 10. The average girl sees pornography for the first time between 10 and 12. So if you wait too long, You've, that ship has already sailed. I believe when the child is five or six years old, you can simply tell them, much like don't get into the car of a stranger, no matter if they offer you candy or, or anything else, you simply say something. If you see pictures of naked people or you know naked people doing things together, you know just let me know. Just let me know where you found them. Um, those are not things that children should look at. And obviously... You know, don't let anybody take any pictures of you naked. And, you know, you don't take pictures of any of your friends naked. If you happen to have a phone or a camera, that's just a no-no. And you let it go at that. And kids aren't going to freak out. Kids aren't going to, you know, want to see these pictures. You know, just like five- and six-year-olds, you tell them if they find a cigarette not to put it in their mouth, they're just going to say okay. As the kids get a little older, you know, and they start to learn more about sexuality, I think it's, you know, you can tell them this is material, much like alcohol, that is, you know, that adults make a decision whether they want to use it or not, but it's not for children because children can't handle using it. Um, and there can be negative consequences. People can get addicted to this the way they get addicted to drugs. And that's all you have to say to a, you know, 11 year old. When they get to 13, 14, and I think this is especially true with boys, I think that most boys who are 13 and 14 uh, have not obviously developed addiction yet. 
I think that most of those boys want a traditional girlfriend. They view themselves as having, you know, normal uh, interactions with a female through their teenage years or early 20s. And I think that this is the time that we introduce that concept of the porn-induced erectile dysfunction and let them know, listen, if you look at this stuff nonstop, you can literally become desensitized to sex. And think about that. You will not be able to get a girlfriend or a girl will not want to stay with you um, if you're not able to perform without pornography you're not going to probably have a happy, healthy life. You're going to have to go and deal with that as, as a major medical issue, as a major mental health issue. And you don't want to do that. I think that, uh, I, I hate to say it's you know something we need to scare out of these kids, but I think that we need to tell them what the consequences are. I think they need to know that too much pornography viewing can lead to this when they're younger. And I'm not uh, naive to think that we can completely eliminate pornography addiction. You know, we warn kids about drugs. The vast majority of kids don't use drugs. A lot will try it. Um, a lot will sample it and then turn away from it. Yes, there are some, some people that go to it and use it. And I think that will always be true of pornography. It was true of pornography before the Internet. But I think that we can bring it back to pre-internet numbers if there is just that educational component. You know, if we could get a uh, middle school health class to spend 30 minutes once a year on pornography, I think you'd see double-digit drops in some of those numbers. But the world is so squeamish right now to, you know, the idea of, oh, my gosh, we can't talk about pornography because that's almost like us saying pornography is okay. And simply talking about a problem is not uh, is not earning it on. It's okay to talk about it doesn't make you someone who loves pornography. It doesn't make you someone who has a pornography problem. It makes you someone who recognizes that there can be a problem. And I think that it's good parenting to educate your child about, you know, the potential downfalls, just like you do with anything else in life. What's the best way that a friend or a parent or a relative can step in without embarrassing them or making them feel ashamed? Well, you know, it, it, that's a very hard thing to do, and everybody's going to react to it differently. Um, what I always stress are two, you know, depending on the person, you may have to approach it a hundred different ways. The thing that is the same, whether you're talking about a 13-year-old boy or a 53-year-old woman, is that you need to, number one, not judge them. Um, they may be engaging in a behavior that you don't agree with. They may be looking at things that would curl your fingernails, but do not judge them on what they are looking at. They have a problem. Um, and number two, keep it a safe space. If they know that they can talk to you, if they know they can trust you, if they know that you're not going to make them feel shamed, they're much to get help about it. They may not want to talk to you about it, but if they know that you're not going to, going to completely freak out, you're not going to make them feel bad about themselves, they're more apt to at least consider they have a problem. Most, most people, when they are introduced to the idea that they have a problem, don't recognize they have a problem or don't want to recognize they have a problem. For a very long time, even after I was arrested, I didn't know pornography addiction was a thing. I thought my porn addiction was just an extension of my alcoholism. It wasn't until I sat down with a professional towards the end of my alcohol rehab 
Then I learned porn addiction was an actual thing. I had it, and it predated my alcoholism in my youth. Um, that's, you know, there, there, there's a lot of lack of education around it. So, you know, when someone says, I'm not a porn addict, it's not real, that's not necessarily just denial. It's a lack of education. Um, and urge this person to do a little research, you know, find out about themselves. When I first went to my alcohol rehab, it took me about a week before I embraced the fact I was an alcoholic because I needed to hear the science of it. I needed to, them to tell me why I was an alcoholic. And once I fit the profile, I was more willing to accept the fact that I was an addict. You know, everybody has this kind of black cloud over the term addict. It just means somebody who needs help. It means somebody who needs that extra little uh, a bit of uh, coaching to get over their issue. They need a little bit of extra therapy. Maybe they need some meds. They just need that little bit extra. And that uh, title of addict, I find with most addicts who get into recovery, it becomes it's, it stings less and less. Josh, tell me, how do you feel now, now that you're above all that has happened? How, um, how do you feel now? What, what does your life look like now? And how do you stay positive on a Monday? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's ironic because I actually love Mondays because that means everybody's out of the house and I can get my work done in silence <laughs> uh, because I work from home. So I look forward to Mondays. But you know, when I'm feeling down, um, I try to spend time with my family. I try to be grateful. Every day I spend a few minutes practicing gratitude. One of the things that I uh, do on my website is I try to, on the 8th of every month, do what I call the Grateful Eight. And that's just being grateful for eight things. And I always try to make them, you know, not just family or that. I try to, you know, what is good in my life? And, you know, if it's if it's a movie I just liked, you know, thank God I got to see that movie. I'm, I'm glad that happened in my life. Or, you know, I just tried tiramisu for the first time the other day. And that is absolutely delightful. And I wish that I had tried tiramisu when I was 10 years old because I'd have been eating it since then. But I have it now. And I have a new dessert in my life. And, you know, it's completely trivial. But I'm glad I have a new dessert in my life. I'm grateful for that. And I think that what is necessary is to just stop and not necessarily recognize that somebody always has it worse than you, because, of course, somebody always has it worse than you. But just to be thankful for the things that you have, and they don't have to be super important things. You know, I'm thankful that I've got three dogs who all have very different personalities, and I can go, you know, deal with whichever one I want, depending on my feelings. You know, I'm thankful that I, you know, saved up enough money to go on a road trip with my daughter last summer um, and we had a fantastic time together I'm thankful that my computer's working it was busted two weeks ago and, and I can't get anything done without it working you know it's just one of those things that look on look at the good things that happen in your life uh, that they don't have to be major they can be small a TV show you like to watch you know your your favorite sports team wins. Uh, just the little things, be happy for them because your life is full of them. Even people who are very depressed, and I've gone through my bouts of depression, and they're very hard to, to, to fight, you can still be grateful. You can still look around and think, you know, thank God I was put on this earth. The odds of me being here are so tiny when you just look at the reproductive process that, you know, it's a miracle I'm here, and it's a miracle I survive every day. And I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for all the little things that come along with it. That's beautiful. Josh, if you could leave us uh, with one one little nugget, pretend like your microphone is a microphone to the world. What's one piece of advice for someone who's struggling, for someone who's 
who's coming, who's recovering and they're worried about, about relapse or someone who's struggling in general on a Monday morning, what is your one piece of advice if you could put your finger on it? Nobody on their deathbed has ever said, I'm glad I didn't ask for help. All right, Josh, thank you so much. How can people uh, find out more about you? How can people find out more about uh, what you do? The best place is recoveringpornaddict.com. You can, I've got links to my books on Amazon on there. I've written two books, a memoir and a book for partners of porn addicts. There's a resource page on there. You can learn more about my one-on-one advisement service. Um, and there are a ton of links to other places as well. So just check out recoveringpornaddict.com. And uh, if you have any questions, drop me a line. I'm always happy to answer emails. That's great. And we will, we will leave that link in the episode description and show notes. Thanks a lot for having me, Maverick. There are a lot of people who are very squeamish about this topic, and we've got to get over it if we're going to deal with this problem as a society. And I can only spread the message with people like you giving me a platform. So thank you very much. Here are some great takeaways from episode 30. One, the addiction of pornography can be just as severe and damaging, if not more, than other common addictions, such as drugs, alcohol, or gambling. Two, when helping someone else, be sure not to judge them. Keep it a safe space. Three, if we can't talk about the substance, how can we talk about the problem around it? Four, sometimes we need to just get up and go sit somewhere else. Take yourself completely out of the potential harm's way. Five, try practicing what Josh does, the Grateful Eight. On the eighth of every month, make it your intention to acknowledge eight things that you're grateful for. And six, nobody on their deathbed ever said, I'm glad I didn't ask for help.